Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host, and it's a pre-recorded show uh, this evening. However, I will be in the chat room to answer questions or say hi and all that, and also wish everyone a happy new year because that is coming up in a few days. So I wish uh, you all a very good 2023. And I want to thank all those who support the show. And, and I appreciate every single listener. And again, I hope you have a great 2023. The guest tonight, Kurt Mungle. I'm really excited to have him on. I've watched a number of his videos on the theories of everything. He's got a great YouTube channel and podcast. Interviews all kinds of interesting people and a number of people in the UFO world. And that's really why I got a hold of him. I, I saw that he had s some kind of interest in UFOs, at least he's looking into them, a uh, curiosity. And uh, he, he has, uh, uh, has had a number of really great guests. And I'm going to talk to him a little bit about that and how he got into this and all that. So without further ado, I will bring him in. Welcome to the show, Kurt. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you, Martin. Yeah, you know, I've had a lot of people, uh, I announced last week that you were going to be on this week, and I got some email. People are pretty excited that you're coming on. So there's a lot of, there's, believe it or not, even if you didn't you do UFOs, there is a crossover of people that, you know, watch your channel, and, and, you, and you, I saw you have a lot of subscribers, and a lot of very popular videos that you, you put out there. Well, uh, I hope I don't disappoint those people who are looking forward to this. No, you won't. No, you won't. What I hope made I don't you disappoint you? No, not at all. So, what made you decide uh, to to actually create this the theories of everything, or it's just called theories of everything, uh, podcast and uh, YouTube channel? So, I've always been interested in in the physics term theories of everything. That is, how do you how do you unify quantum field theory and then gravity or general relativity? I've always been almost always been interested in that since I've been a kid. And then when I went to university, I became more interested in stand-up and from stand-up, so stand-up comedy. From that, I did film. And then from there, when I graduated, I went into filmmaking rather than into math and physics, primarily because when, you're, when you have to do math and physics, at least for myself, I despise it. So my favorite <laughs> courses were always the courses that I wasn't, in, that I wasn't assigned. So if someone says, you have to do so-and-so, you have to do this homework assignment, I, I despise that. I can't... I, I'm extremely averse to it. I don't, it makes me tense. It makes me so, makes me not want to do it. So, but however, if there's a different course, I'll look up the book for that course, even though I'm supposed to be studying for some other course. Anyway, the point is I don't like to do what I'm supposed to do. So uh, yeah. I went into filmmaking then, mm -hmm. which is a great, a, a great avenue for people who are just as desultory as myself. Then I, started to make a film and release some of the interviews on, on YouTube. And those are essentially podcasts, interviews. And mm. that started to take traction. And I thought, given that the pandemic is imminent or occurring right now, why not, why not? And I, sorry, I said eminent, I meant imminent. Why not just, why not interviews, for instance, Donald Hoffman? Because I hear so many people talk about his theories and I've heard him talk yes. about it at a fairly superficial level. And he's claiming that there's mathematics behind it. Okay, well, I can read that math. Why don't I read his papers and then interview him? I did that and then that took off when I thought, hey, given that I'm extremely interested, there's like this burning passion in me for theories of everything. Why not go back into that? It's never left me. Even when I was doing films, there's an element of physics and math in them. So I put out more interviews, quote unquote interviews, not even podcasts on that subject 
and that seemed to take off. And so it's not as if it was a conscious decision at one single point, it was the gradual change. And at some points I called it theories of everything, whereas before it had a different name. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, I've, I've had these curiosities too, but not at your level, you know, not at such a, a deep scientific or a mathematical level, but I, I'm still fascinated. I would say I'm a fan of it all. And, and uh, so it's, I have a curiosity about it. And I think it's great that you also looked into a number of different topics and we'll talk about uh, them later as well. Uh, because, you know, consciousness is something that you've looked into and have done some interviews on, but it's also something that I get contacted all the time and people are saying they believe there's a connection between UFOs and consciousness. And I, I can't, I've been trying to understand exactly what that would be or how, how that works. And uh, even when I've had people try to explain it to me, I still can't understand. And there, uh, there's a great quote. Um, and I'm trying to remember um, who who did the who said the quote that what we know is a drop, what we know is a drop, yes. and what we don't know is an ocean. Right. Yeah. And I do believe that. I believe there's so much to learn, and we just know a little tiny, tiny fraction of what there is to learn. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I'm glad you're doing this. And so what uh, do you think the connection is between UFOs and consciousness? What uh, do you see, I, I, I come across. I, I have tried to understand that. And, uh, you know, some people are saying that it's created through our consciousness, but then that doesn't, you know, like on an individual basis, but, Interesting. but I don't, you know, then I, I counter that with, okay, well, what about the mass sightings? You know, there's so many sightings like the Phoenix lights that had thousands of people that saw it. And there's one in Chicago in a, a area. And there's this whole bunch of sightings where there's been, you know, many multiples of witnesses. So that doesn't really, you know, pan out in that particular situation. So, yeah. um, but I think it's it's still really interesting. Um, and I've seen several people on your show, like I was just listening to Ross Coldhart, and uh, he's been on my show before. I really, I really respect him, liked him, like him. He's a uh, journalist in Australia, of course, um, and he says some fascinating things. So I'm just wondering, was he one of the more interesting guests that you've talked to about the UFO topic on your show? You know, Martin, I think, I, I promise I'm not being or trying to be politically correct, but each person that I interview on the UFO topic is interesting in their own way. And I think you found that true and found that as well. Mm. Someone said to me that there's no, there's only characters in the scene. And I don't know why that is, but it seems that that's the case. Ross seems to be much more of the sober individual, but there many of the more public-facing ones are have have uncommon personalities. So I find them interesting. <laughs> yeah. Let me think if there were any that were uninteresting, because I think that's a more I, I can give an accurate answer to that. Okay, if I encounter one, I'll let you know. <laughs> okay, uh, I know you had. Uh... I think there's there's one one or two. Yeah, that were that I call uninteresting. But well, that doesn't I mean you, that they're wrong or that I disbelieve yeah. them. It just means that I was... That you had wrong. Stephen Greer on, which I kind of... I'm not really kind to Stephen Greer and, and on the show. Too, too kind. Sure. Um, but uh, but you a lot of people, uh, as soon as you had him on and people watched that show, they said, oh, you got to watch this. He really challenged him on a lot of things. And so uh, uh, 
you, you did a nice job on that particular uh, show, I believe, and, and challenging him, which I, I think anyone, you know, that is out there claiming, you know, more or less that they know what's going on needs to be challenged, in my opinion, because I, I personally think that we have no idea our government has no, our governments, I don't believe, really have a full understanding. I saw that Ross kind of touched on that as well. Uh, but they may know more than we know about the UFO topic. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so just so you know, my job, sorry, not my job, my goal in any of the podcasts is never to challenge a guest. If that happens, that just happens. I, it's just questions happen, questions occur to me, and I ask them. So yeah. I don't go in thinking, how can I disprove or prove a person? I go in thinking, mm. how can I understand what they're saying? And how can I, if I, if I don't understand it, if there are gaps in my knowledge, how can I fill them? So with Stephen Greer, I didn't intend to challenge him. I also don't think I challenged him. So I know some people are saying that. My, I think what they're referring to is he said, I could explain the physics of this, but your audience wouldn't understand that. And I said, okay, well, I don't think you know what show you're on. That's why the audience is here, at least the majority <laughs> of them. So please, yeah. if you have that knowledge, and then people were getting... Some people, an extreme minority of people are getting upset because they're saying you shouldn't have asked him to explain physics. He's not a physicist. I didn't say he was a physicist. I'm sorry. He was the one who said that he could explain. So that's what yes. I was doing. And that was that came across as a challenge. I didn't intend it. Secondly, there are many of his claims that I asked for, quote unquote, evidence, which which triggered him. But I I take that as a fault on mine. I need to improve as an interviewer because maybe he maybe not maybe, my demeanor came across as disbelieving and perhaps even disparaging. And I apologize to that, Stephen, if you're watching. And I, I didn't mean it to be that way. So that's just my fault. I need to work on that. Yeah. Well, no, I think I think that was, uh, I think that was, that's exactly what they were talking about. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of times I've said that too. You know, I've had uh, people on the show that have made extraordinary claims. And, you know, I had a woman on the show that claims she was riding through the rings of Saturn, you know, um, and I basically had to end this show early. It was a live show. Um, I just, you know, I mean, it was just going out there a little too far from, I wasn't, I was uncomfortable with it. And how did you end it? Did you um, end it by like, sorry. Not in a rude way, I ended it in the softest way I could. And uh, I, I just said, well, that's gonna do it for the show, you know, tonight and- Okay, so you know, she wasn't offended. Uh, I talked to her afterwards and kind of and, smoothed it over a little bit. Okay, yeah. so she was there was some umbrage there. There was wondering why I cut the show short. Yeah, she was on with a with a guest, uh, uh, with a co co guest. So anyway, but that's uh, there was only a couple times that I've done that in you know over ten years, so uh, eleven years now. And uh, I, I guess uh, as far as this subject goes, when it comes to UFOs, UAP, whatever you'd like to call them. Do you think that there's uh, any one theory over another that these things could be, or do you think they could be a multiple of things that people are seeing? I So I don't favor one theory over the others. I, I find flaws, like six blemishes, if I think about a single theory for a minute. I just see, that's what I mentioned that I, that's what I meant when I said that I have questions, they occur to me. And I don't mm -hmm. get to cite them all or, or recite them all, sorry. I don't get to bring them up to the guests. So I just find flaws with, virtually every interpretation, which either means that there are flaws, which I think is the case, but it also means that I don't understand them or also could mean I don't understand them, which, which I think is the case. So that's why I need to work harder to understanding these theories. And then thirdly, that we 
don't have complete information, which I think is the one fact, fact that we can, that virtually everyone agrees on. We don't have complete information on this. Yes. Yes. So I, that, I, that's why it's difficult for me to favor a theory over another. In that, in that way though, how, how would you, as, as a scientist yourself, how would you suggest that people are looking into this topic or trying to get data for this, for, for what is occurring? I mean, it's such a, so yeah, yeah. Given that it's not replicable, right. It doesn't seem like it is. However, there is CE five that some people claim is something that can be verified and repeated. I don't know, but that's the claim. And many people who aren't even in the Stephen Greer, Greer camp claim that. So hmm. I would say that the best way to gather data in this is twofold. One is to perform CE5 near some of the instruments of the Galileo project. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, apparently there are some hot spots. Yes. So why not launch a private, now this all requires billions or millions, at least, at least yeah. multi-millions. Why yeah. not launch a private satellite to monitor some of these hotspots and live stream it if it could be. That's what I meant. That's like the easiest that come to mind. Yeah. How to study this scientifically. It has to be streamed because otherwise you get, like even for instance, the the Large Hadron Collider, which by the way, costs multi-million. So it's not as if this is some project that's unheard of. There's mm. precedent for it. Even that the data is classified. Sorry, that's false. Even that the data is not released because there's terabytes, terabytes or petabytes there's so much data, they have to compress it, they have to use algorithms. So you don't get to see the data. So, somehow we need to be able to see the data for a private satellite that's launched and everyone needs to be able to have access to that. Now, I don't know how that works in terms of logistics, but hmm. conceivably it can be done. Yeah, there, there are a few people that are, are kind of going along that line that are trying to, um, you know, like a... a I'm trying to think what it's called. It's it's open. It's open. What do they call it? like open software or whatever it is? Sure. Oh, yeah. So there are people that are trying to put things like that together, and uh, where everyone could have not everyone, but people that are involved in this can have some type of equipment equipment mm -hmm. at their home, and like you say, if something is caught, you know that is not explainable that can be seen, then they could live stream it to you know basically everyone else that's involved and i think it's free for anyone to, i can't remember the name of it people may ask me that so if i figure that out i could put it in the show notes but uh there is that service that is out there as far as i know it's already been established where people are, are setting up all over and um you know and there are a, a lot of there are a lot of people that just say there's nothing to this you know for instance um Neil deGrasse Tyson, you hear him often, like just say there's there's nothing, and he goes on and on about there's, you know, eight billion uh, cell phones out yes, there. Yes. Why don't we have a crystal clear picture? And you know, I mean, and then just the military is seeing these things, and you know, all like that. And so I guess I want to ask you, uh, I considered that closed-minded and not really scientific to just pass it all off like that. Um, you know, I'm using him as an example, but, uh, you know, what do you think about that? Don't you think that science should be open to at least exploring what all these people are seeing and there is some data for, I think it's a form of, for, oh, I have to be careful because I would like to get Neil on the podcast. Yeah. But, okay. 
I don't think that he believes what he's saying because you can ask him a set of questions, which I don't want to ask here because I don't, I want to ask it to him directly. So there's so much I have to say, but I'd rather save it for a conversation with him. There's a video out there where he says something like, you need to know in science uh, when you don't know. You need to be smart enough to say that you don't know, which I agree with. And and then yet he goes on and, and claims he knows everything about UFOs that they're not, you know, they're, uh, they're not real. They're not. Uh, well, he makes an argument. Look, unidentified means unidentified. You see something, you don't all of a sudden jump to aliens. I see a blur in the sky, therefore aliens. That's not how it works, though, Neil. It's not just that you see something in the sky and you jump to aliens. It's that you see something in the sky and it's correlated with what many other people see. It's correlated with other sorts of experiences. It's correlated with, say, cattle mutilations. It's correlated with plenty else. And it's not all correlated. It's not as if every time you see a UFO, you find a cattle mutilated, but I'm saying there's correlations. So it's not merely you see something and thus you jump, quote unquote, jump to the conclusion that it's therefore aliens. And also it's unclear if it's just aliens. It's not as if that's the only theory going around in these circles. Yes, right. It's not even clear what alien means. Does it mean time traveling people? Well, that's difficult to verify. It's difficult to understand what that means without breaking, well, yes without breaking certain laws of physics but even that's dubious because you can have closed timeline curves and general relativity it's just there's certain problems with with time traveling but then there are other ways the point is that that it's not simply you see some object in the sky and then you conclude that it's thus some extraterrestrial but that's what he's yeah. that's what he's saying that or i don't want to speak about him because I'd rather speak to him, but that's yeah. what some people in the skeptic community claim is going on. And yeah. I, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair either because there's a lot of the people I talk to about this subject are not saying that that's what it is. You know, a lot of people say that they have no idea what it is other than, you know, there was something there, you know, they're not saying, um, you know, extraterrestrial I'm, I'm, I think that's a very good possibility, but I don't know if, you know, myself, my own opinion, that is a very good possibility that that's what it is, but it could be so many other things. You know, I mean, like you mentioned, the time travel is one of the theories that are out there. Interdimensional is another one, um, you know, and then uh, I had uh, an ex-CIA officer uh, last week who thinks that it's something that's always been here, you know, before us. And uh, still, still remains here and sure, around we're us. We're the foreigners, right? Yeah, we're the foreigners. We're the ones that preceded or whatever. Which uh, it's all fat to me. It's one of the reasons I keep doing this show. Uh, I really enjoy doing the show because I get to hear all these ideas and things. And and you know, after all these years of doing this and over five hundred, well, you're I think you're five thirty seven for the guest. Um, I, I don't really know. 137 guests. Yeah. I really don't know anymore <laughs> yeah. at this point. You know, it's just, uh, it, it's still very exciting to me because, you know, I, I like to hear about the actual incidents as well. That really fascinates me a lot, you know, because some of them are so bizarre, they make no sense at all, which um, to me almost makes them even stronger. You know, uh -huh. like, uh, you so? know, just bizarre things uh, because it, it doesn't sound 
it doesn't appear like it's anything that um, could be made up. Or I, 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 I like to, when I meet someone that is outside of the UFO world or whatever, and I happen to bring up a topic that, you know, it kind of feeds into this. And I say, well, by the way, I do a show on UFOs. Oh, well, let me tell you. Mm. about this story and they i've heard some just amazing stories that are so bizarre and almost don't even make any sense you know i mean uh, i'll just give a quick example i mean this is my show i know i've talked about it before on my show but i was out in phoenix at a conference out there and there was a uh, uh i was walking my dog and there was a girl out that worked the um casino that was outside uh smoking a cigarette and she said, what's going on in there? And I said, well, it's a UFO conference. And she goes, oh, wow. Geez, maybe I should check that out. And then she started telling me the story. She said her mm. and a friend were driving past a Mesa and they saw this like triangular thing, like lift off and mm. kind of float toward them. And then it was directly over their car. And then it blasted like this bright light down inside their car. And they sped up to like 100 miles an hour and... Uh, to try to outrun the thing. And it was just right over the top of the car the whole time. And so they like went off on side roads or something like that. And she said, and it was gone. It just vanished. And then she said, all of a sudden, the biggest owl I've ever seen in my life was right there in front of the car. Now something mm -hmm. so weird that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I just think that is just an, an incredible thing. And, and other people have talked about owls. And here's this, this girl I'm talking to that, has never looked into the UFO topic, just had that one event. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting stories like that. Mm. Uh, you know, that make no sense. I love the ones that make no sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, just very curious. Well, um, she, does she, was she able to explain how she could see it above her car? Because yeah, I she had a, white, she, yeah. she had a, uh, well, it came in from the, the, she had a uh, sunroof. And it came in that way, but she saw like, first of all, she saw it over the, they could see it was over the car itself. And then the light came down and lit it up like, uh, like a blast of light. The whole car was very, very bright inside. And mm -hmm. it was during the day. It wasn't an evening sighting either. So yeah, it's really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, again, makes, makes no sense, but those are the ones I like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so as far as, uh, you know, we're going to talk about other other topics as well besides UFO topic. But what do you think about the uh, U.S. government's involvement in uh, looking at the data? It's either an admission or it's obfuscation. Mm. And either one's interesting to me. Yeah, that that that's uh, something I never really thought of. But, you know, uh, some people have said that in the UFO world, that they think that, you know, this is just window dressing and um and just hoping, you know, people will go away after they get some answers and not really uh, get too many, you know, enough out there. And we've been told this a number of times that, you know, it's being looked into and over the over the decades, Project Blue Book, the Condon um, Commission or whatever that was called. Uh, so there's been a number of times that there's there feels like there's going to be some type of promise of understanding this. But I really don't think that they understand. That's my own opinion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I get that feeling as well. Yeah. I mean, if, if they had to say to 
the United States, you know, the, the, the people of the United States, like we really don't know what it is uh, that's flying around in the sky that people are seeing. We have no idea what it is. I think that would be, that would raise a lot of fear in uh, a lot of people. And I don't think they'll ever say that. Hmm. I don't know. I, I imagine that the panic, quote-unquote panic, would be momentary for that if they just said there are objects in the sky and we don't know what they are. I don't know if that would cause extreme panic or if it would be panic that would be prolonged. I think that that's an excuse unless they have something else that I don't that it doesn't occur to me. I don't know. I don't buy that as an excuse. I don't think it would happen, and I just don't buy it as an excuse. But again, I don't know. I'm learning, and... Oh, I don't know. Mm. I don't buy it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if have you yourself ever had a UFO sighting or anyone you know? Not that I know of. So yeah. maybe. But. Yeah. And what about when you have done shows on UFOs? Have you ever been contacted by, yes. you know, someone that Several said, hey, people. look, I want to talk to you about this sighting I had? That's that's I get numerous emails. Yeah. Still, like even months after a show. It's been months since, or it's been one and a half months since the Stephen Greer. And then months before that since the last UFO-themed show on the on the Toe channel. Yeah. And I get them maybe every day. Huh. Isn't that something? I get, a, I get quite a few as well. And uh, I have a form on my website that people can fill out, you know, anonymously. Uh, actually got hacked. So, but I do have a way for people to, to, uh, post, um, on my website, uh, when they want to, when they want to talk anonymously about their, their sighting, just to let them, you know, get it out there. A lot of people just want to be heard. That's why you get, that's mm -hmm. why you get in the emails. They want to share and get it off their chest or whatever. So right. uh, I bet you get some interesting ones come through. It, it's at the point I can't read them. So mm. unfortunately I just, I can't read them. So I apologize. You just have too much going on. They're way, way too much. I can't read my own emails from the people who are working for me, like editing. <laughs> oh, so wow. Yeah. I use the time at the gym to go through some unread messages, but that's not enough time. Hmm. And then yeah. by the time this, the, the next session, there's so much more piled up. So yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, I remember I talked to you. Uh, are you familiar with who Seth Shostak is at SETI? He's no. uh, a senior scientist at the SETI um, Institute. And he told me he gets 4,000 emails a day. I don't know if that's if that's true or not, but that's that's a heck of a lot of emails. Yeah, I doubt that's I doubt it's 4,000, but yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. including newsletters he signed up for. But yes, it could be. Yeah. It could yeah. be I mean, it, I, could, I could see hundreds. I mean, I feel like yeah, I, get, exactly. I get many dozens myself. Well, you can um, do a calculation, like 4,000 times 365, and how many is that? Is it the same person emailing multiple times? Jack Sarfati, if anyone's on his list, there are at least 20 emails a day from Jack. So does that count as 20 emails or one? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so let's uh, – I, I think I think I kind of went through everything that I was thinking about. Uh, I guess I do want to ask you, do you ever think that people will eventually understand what, what it is that – that UFOs UAP are. Yeah. So I'm in a, a minority camp, but again, this is my present deliberation. It tends to change every every couple of weeks 
or every day sometimes. So I think, yes, I think we'll understand it, but we'll understand it at the same way that we understand a sperm whale. So we don't know what the heck a sperm whale does with the majority of its time. We don't know how it attacks, how it eats its prey. There's so many mysteries, but, but yet we've, we imagine that they're a mammal. We think they're a mammal and we see the evidence for that. And we understand they live in the ocean. We understand their evolutionary, their, their relationship in the phylogenetic tree. And we understand a bit about what it does eat, even though we don't know how it does eat it. So I imagine it would be like that, like broad strokes we would understand. But as for specifics, much like anything else in science, it's, 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 it's not going to be complete, nor in the case of the sperm whale satisfactory, at least not to people who study sperm whales. Most people don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people are saying that we're in some type of disclosure now since 2017, um, you know, and I, I think that's, and a lot of people claim we've already, it's already been disclosed, but I don't, I don't, yeah, really I, agree yeah, I, don't I don't see, I don't know what they are referring to. And I've heard these, I've heard so many, so many people say this, but what do you mean? What counts as disclosure to them? Like, yeah. do they even say that? I, what do they mean? We're in the middle of disclosure. If what they mean is that it's a long process and we've started step zero or one. Okay. But if what mm -hmm. they mean is that it's been disclosed, like what more do you want? What do you mean? What more do you want? Do you not, do you have that little disconnect with, with not ufology, but just the, because that's a word that's apparently tainted the people who are interested in UFOs, do you not understand what, what they want? Like they don't want just some government saying that there are objects and we don't know where they're from. We want to know, do they know more? Do they have access to craft? Can we see a picture? Can we have some admission, some explicit admission? It's not, I don't know what's meant when they say disclosure has occurred. What are they referring to? Mm. And if, right. Well, yeah. So, agreed. So I, I don't buy that. I had uh, Lou Elizondo's been on my show a few times. And one of the things he said on another podcast, and I questioned him about it, was that we're soon to see a 23-minute video. I don't know where he came up with that exactly, uh, but it was supposed to be with multiple craft, and it's going to be really good you know, evidence or whatever. So I've uh, been waiting for that for almost a year now. <laughs> Has yeah, and 23 yet? minutes coincidentally is the exact time frame of a television show with commercials. So I don't know what form this <laughs> this video takes. And by the way, I, I I love Lou and I respect Lou. That was no in no way a jab to Lou. Like I I I so just so you know, I do not take that yeah. as a like I, I just I'm just letting you know maybe he's been told something. Yeah. I I, I expect that he's been told that. Right. Right. All right. Well, let's uh there's some other topics I would like to talk to you about. Um and uh, so I guess I would like to ask you, what is the most exciting research topic when it comes to theoretical physics these days? Physics. OK, so let's get clear as to what theoretical physics means, because so there's high energy physics, which is what I like, which actually doesn't mean physics. It means mm. math that's inspired by physics. So for people who are interested, there's something called a Poisson bracket. You use that in classical mechanics. Now, if you just take the Poisson bracket and you find some new construction with it or some new result, some new theorem involving the Poisson bracket, you can publish in a journal for classical mechanics, even though it may have nothing to do with, cla with classical mechanics. Mm. So that's what theoretical physics is like. 
there's it's just math inspired by physics hmm. which is why there's such criticism for string theory because unclear does this have any application it may have in principle no application or no or in practice no application because in order to test it you may create a black hole for instance okay so there's that so but i happen to like that i i i, I love theory so that's just mm -hmm. like my bread and butter if i was to redo it i would go into like for something that's actually physics what i think is actually physics or what is actually physics is condensed matter physics so plenty of like i mentioned the theoretical side they have exotic states exotic states of matter that come about and it turns out that they have a basis in something called condensed matter physics so superconductors supercooling materials well that's enough mm -hmm. how does a standard model of particle physics explain the universe well it doesn't so <laughs> okay it doesn't explain the universe it explains particle interactions and even there it doesn't explain quote unquote it gives some calculations some tools there's a physicist that I, a philosopher of physics who I interviewed named Tim Maudlin. He said that every, when you, whenever you learn quantum mechanics, sorry, whenever you learned quantum theory in university, you don't learn quantum theory. You learn quantum mechanics. So a tool for calculating what's going on at a small level. So at a subatomic level, but a theory should have an account of ontology. Like what the heck is going on? What is physically happening? Standard, the standard model is much like the shut up and calculate mindset. And it's, it's not the, it doesn't explain a part of an explanation, at least what we think so is the, as colloquially is to understand what's going on just because you have statistical correlations. It doesn't give an account as to what's metaphysically happening. So I want to say it explains the universe. And secondly, it just explains if it was to explain anything, it would be particle interactions. And it's not clear how gravity comes about. It's not clear how consciousness comes about. And I would say that those are extreme parts of the universe. Well, not extreme. Those are crucial parts of the universe that we would want to know and account of in order to quote unquote, explain the universe. And unless what they mean is explain the physical universe, but even there, like I mentioned, it's incomplete and virtually every physicist agrees on that. Hmm. Now I know like, the gravity is is really really hard to understand uh you know how how it works and i know there's been there was sort of a semi minor breakthrough in that i don't know maybe five or ten years ago and uh and how does that fit in with uh there's there so many questions that i think we have that we can't really understand in like black uh dark matter and you know, uh, black energy. Am I saying that wrong? Black energy, black dark holes, energy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so there's just so many things that we don't understand, and may they may have some type of relationship to each other. All all three of them. Yeah, they may. They may. It's 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 always tempting to think that the mysteries have a relationship to one another. I don't know if that's always the case, but it is. It's it's one route to go. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that's always fascinated me is the quantum, uh, the entanglement theory. So what are the implications of quantum entanglement for our understanding of the universe? Someone I want to interview, Martin, is someone on this recent experiment at Google about quantum entanglement and wormholes. Hmm. So I don't know. I haven't looked into it. 
but apparently there's something called EPR equals ER. That just means that entanglement equals a wormhole. It doesn't mm. exactly mean that. There's some mathematical formulation. I don't understand it. I don't understand the philosophical implications for quantum entanglement. And so something I'm working on to understand it is a book on the interpretations of quantum mechanics. So I'm writing that and that will then I'll hopefully have a coherent answer for you. So my mm -hmm. answer, whenever I don't understand something, I just tend to write about it. Ah, huh, interesting. Do you think there ever will be a theory of everything? It's kind of evasive like UFOs, right? I see there being for what a culture at a certain time thinks of as complete. Yes. And then I imagine that there will be some other piece of evidence that comes about that reveals a new vista. So for instance, in the late 1900s, there was a theory of everything and it was Newtonian mechanics. So classical mechanics plus statistical mechanics. And they thought that's all or electrodynamics too. And they thought that's all. It, it was unclear how to combine them. And it turns out that you, you get special relativity and many other effects when you combine them. But, but to them, the toll was on the horizon. And I imagine that that's what we'll be in a state of in the next 30 years. The toll will be on the horizon, if not complete, but then something new will be discovered that shatters all of that. Hmm. Yeah. So, I, 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 so if, I yeah, sorry. agree with that part of it. Sure. Hmm? Yeah. And so I guess uh, the, the whole thing about entanglement is just so fascinating. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it could even be possible, the interactions across unlimited space, supposedly. I mean, I, I don't even know how they test something like that. Do you have any idea how they can test something like that? Yes. So there are ways of, there are ways of creating a scenario that because of a conservation law, meaning, so here's a conservation law. There's mass conservation. If, if this was to disappear, then the mass in the room changed and you have to look somewhere else for the mass. And it turns out that if you look hard enough, you'll find the mass pop up somewhere. So there's mass conservation. It turns out that there's not exactly mass conservation, but the point is I'm trying to explain what a conservation law is, that mm -hmm. something is conserved across time. It turns out spin is something that's conserved across time. So elementary particles spin and they can spin in two directions, what's called up and what's called down. So if the total spin in this room is zero and we created particles, and I know for sure one of the particles has, has a spin up, then I know that some, the other particle has a spin down because it has to, those have to cancel in order to equal zero. So what happens mm. is you create particles that you don't observe and through some, some arguments, they're not supposed to have a defined up or down, which is strange to think about. And there are some theories that go against this. For instance, Tim Maudlin is a realist and believes the particles do actually carry an up or a down. But in the standard interpretations, they don't have up or down until they're observed. They exist in an amalgam of them, of the, they exist in an amalgam of up and down, a superposition is, is what's called superposition. I have, I don't believe in <laughs> superposition. I know that's so strange. I'm making such inflammatory statements. But I can explain why I don't believe in superposition later. Anyway, so it's up and down. Let me be clear, just in case someone's going to comment and I never get to the explanation. I believe in superposition as a mathematical tool. I don't believe that particles are 
indeed in two places at once, for instance. Okay, so mm. if you create a particle or particle pair, and you know that this particle is in some superposition of up and down, and this one is in a superposition of up and down, you created it, but you don't know what because you're not going to observe it. And then you wait until you go until one goes off to Canada. Where are you in the States? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. one goes off to Canada. The other goes to which, which city are you in? Well, I'm in Rockland, Maine. <laughs> okay. So one goes off to Maine and you can, and, and you can figure out, sorry, and you can measure them. So every time I measure mine, I measure mine is up, let's say, or I measure mine is down. It doesn't matter. I measure it as one, either up or down. The other one is either up or down correspondingly to make it cancel every single time. And that has to happen because of conservation. Now, where does the, so there's nothing wrong with that, but where does the faster than light communication come from? Well, if I measure mine, I collapse it. I collapse it either to up or to down, like instantaneously. I measure mine in Canada. I'm measuring mine in Toronto. I ask you, like, like you measure yours, and it turns out it still matches, even though there was no, for the for light to have traveled from me to you, it didn't have enough time. It wouldn't have reached you. So it's strange. How the heck, if these didn't have something defined before, I defined mine by looking at it, it, it collapsed, it collapses up. How the heck does yours even know to collapse to down in order to, in order to conserve globally? Hmm. So that's what quantum entanglement is. And there are ways of formulating that experiment. I don't think hmm. they go as far as hundreds of kilometers, but I think they've done it to, I think it's been done to like 12 kilometers. I'm not sure. Yeah. Even, even anything apart is, is right, just right. astonishing. Like meter. Yeah. Yeah, just astonishing. Now, I would like to talk a little bit about consciousness because, again, I, as I mentioned in the beginning, a lot of people talk about that relationship with UFOs, which I really don't understand. But what what is the relationship between consciousness and the brain? So that's that's an extremely difficult question that comes that depends on if one is a materialist or an idealist, and maybe some other ist or some other ism. So in the materialist sense, they would say that, hey, there's just some interactions of particles, some dynamics, and that creates consciousness. And then in the idealist consciousness is fundamental sense, they would say, no, 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 the brain is an element of consciousness, and you're somehow interacting with consciousness. So it's consciousness. It's not as if the brain produces consciousness. The brain is what consciousness looks like from another perspective. I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer such a question. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also wondered uh, what type of beings have consciousness and what, what don't. In other words, does a, does an ant have consciousness? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how that is measured or anything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And this is an age old question. It's unclear. It's yeah, it's extreme. So I can lead you down some dark places if you, if you seriously contend with that question. And, and basically how does it, how would consciousness arise from a physical presence? You're asking like the hardest questions, man. Well, these I are questions some, I that philosophers, I had some help. <laughs> these are some philosophers have been asking this question for, for decades and then maybe even some rudimentary version of it for millennia. So I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, this is uh, you, you're going to probably laugh when you hear this. Um, I used AI for some of these questions. 
Sure. <laughs> and uh, there's a new chat out there. I'm sure you probably heard of it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I use that in asking for help with these questions. And yeah, it really posed some, some difficult questions, I think. And uh, here's another one. How does consciousness shape our perception of reality? I, I don't know. I, I would say that it's not, it doesn't shape our perception of reality. It allows us to perceive. So an, 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 an analogy would be, so what's the relationship between computers and computation? Well, computers allow computation to occur. Computers aren't computation per se. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's satisfactory. And so the act of perceiving is, is consciousness. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. I'm sorry, Martin. Yeah, no, no, this is all, this is really interesting. Uh, and this AI, this AI is a great, yeah, it's the AI ask, uh, and I'm going to ask a question about that in a minute, but, um, and so I also asked, what's a really good question to ask about free will, because that's another one. That's really an interesting topic that I, I think is anyway. And yeah. is free will an illusion or is it a reality? I think free will is a, a word like consciousness where it's unclear how to explicitly define it, but it does have a meaning. We mean something when we say it. It just seems that our rational attempts to investigate it are like us trying to grab water and it just falls through our hands. And it means that it's easy to conclude that it's an illusion. I think that's the easiest route to take. I think that it's the logical route to take. The lo well, that's even that's difficult to say, but I don't think that, that rationality and logic is all. So I think that we're trying to capture something that's extremely elusive. And it allows people like Daniel Dennett to conclude that even consciousness is an illusion. Hmm. So I don't know. I don't think, I think that it has meaning and we're not properly characterizing it. We're trying to with our words and our words can't define it hmm. currently. So there's two options to that. One is the non-dual route of just not speaking about it. This just escapes, just experience it. Hmm. The other route is that we need a more explicated language. And I tend to take both routes. I'm exploring both. Much of these investigations into toes, into theories of everything, an inference that's easy to draw is that we should just forget about speaking about it. Just live your life, go in the mountains, <laughs> love, hmm. and be endearing. And I think that's partly true. I also think it's true that there are many, several, several problems. In fact, virtually every problem we can think of that millennia ago couldn't be solved because we didn't have the language for it. And now we can. I think mm. that it's just part of, pro part of the problem, by the way, is, is making specific what is the, sorry, part of the solving is making specific what is the problem. So now mm. that Chalmers has made explicit, seemingly, the hard problem of consciousness, which is, I think, 20 years old now or so, maybe 25. I imagine that consciousness, the hard problem of consciousness, I imagine that the hard problem of consciousness will be solved in 25 years. And hmm. I also, and now this is my present deliberation again, so uh -huh. I don't like to state opinions because I am fickle and my mind is mercurial. It changes fairly rapidly. <laughs> So either way, I think my current deliberation is that consciousness, the hard problem will be solved in 25 years and it will be so trivial and we'll look back and think oh, that was obvious. And furthermore, there will be some new problem right now. That's the fad. Like, oh my gosh, you can't just, you can't, 
go into a philosophical discussion without mentioning the hard problem of consciousness. So but go back a hundred years, that wasn't even there. I imagine that something new will occur that just blows our mind. And we can't imagine how could you ever derive this from this, like the, mm. the ought from the is perhaps, or maybe even more fundamental. And then our understanding of what fundamental is will constantly change. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I, I think we'll, we'll, we we're done our show basically. And I want to thank you so much for, uh, for being here. And, uh, you know, I did have one, let's see if you can answer this real quickly. Cause we only have about 30 seconds here. Uh, do you think that AI is a dangerous thing for our future? I think it may be, I think it may be the most dangerous, but I don't know. Again, yeah. I don't know. And I think that some of the people who are working on AI, I think they should examine their motivations and examine what they're doing. Some of the people at OpenAI who are creating ChatGPT and GPT-4 and the Midjourney 3 and Dolly 4 or Dolly 3, I think that they don't think about the consequences of what they're doing. Same with Google, same with Microsoft. I think they're all engineers or the majority of them are engineers. And it's akin to people who are in the Manhattan Project, who are physicists, who are so jazzed about the physics, super jazzed. It's fun. Me and you were having an extreme amount of fun speaking about this. It's even more fun to investigate it with a pen and a paper and do research. I think that they don't realize that what they're creating, they're going to burn their hands. Just like Einstein said, I would have burned my hands had I known the consequences of what I had signed off to. Yeah. Speaking about the nuclear bomb. Right. And so, yeah. so a question is like, well, for these open AI people, Sure, what you're doing has a huge, there's the possibility for extreme public benefit, extreme. But is that, worse, is that worth the possibility for extreme destruction, perhaps even civilization annihilation? Very well so could happen. I think that they need to, yeah. I think each person needs to think about, is what I'm doing ethical? And, or possibly, can it be turned into something unethical? Yeah. And I think that it's terrible. It's a terrible place to be where someone says, well, look, I'm not going to quit my job at Google because one, it pays well. And second, if I don't do it, someone else will. That reminds me of this movie. I forget what it was, but it has Nicolas Cage and he was a weapons dealer, I believe. And he said, hey, I may as well deal weapons because if I don't, someone else is going to take my position. I think that's abdicating your, your culpability. I think it's mm. ex extremely dangerous. And I think you should allow someone else to do it. Even if you, I think you, sh you should keep your hands clean. Keep your own hands clean. Don't worry that someone else is going to dirty their hands. Right, right. Hey, Kurt, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. It's been a pleasure, man. All right. I'll talk to you later. All right. All right, everyone. We'll be back next week with Dean Aliotto, and Happy New Year to you all. <laughs>